Greetings, savory inferiors, and welcome to Vampire Insider, a podcast that recaps and reacts to AMC's reimagining of Anne Rice's interview with the vampire and Mayfair Witches. In this episode, as we await the inaugural episode of the Mayfair Witches on January 8th, hosts Joanne Palumbo, Christina LaRusso, and me, Mark Snedeker, are going to get literary. We're going to do a deep dive into the extremely popular second book in the Vampire Chronicle series, The Vampire Lestat. Showrunner Rawlin Jones relied heavily on Vampire Lestat's characterization of the titular character to craft the charming and dangerous Lestat de Lincoln, as portrayed by Sam Reed in the series, a radically different character than the Lestat in Rice's interview with the vampire. We're going to talk about these differences, some of the themes in the novel, and Lestat is a rock and roll video star. Uh, hello, Joanne Palumbo. Hi, Mark Snedeker. Christina. Hello. How is this episode going to work? <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do is talk about the general plot of the story a little bit. We're going to get into some of the themes that kind of weave their way throughout this story. And I would argue probably over into the TV series. We are going to explore threads between the first book and this one. So really that question is going to be, is Lestat really that different? Because of course the belief, longstanding belief is that Lestat is radically different. He's been rehabilitated. Between the first book and the second, you get to see Lestat's real true character. And we're going to talk about how the vampire Lestat has already had an impact on the show all in under 60 minutes. How are you going to do that? <laughs> Yikes. Seems really unlikely. I don't know. Hey, Joe, do you want to talk a little bit about the general background of the book? This book is not for the faint at heart, right? It clocks in at 560 pages of gothic goodness, but it's a, it's a big book. It was published by Knopf in October 1985, which was actually nine years after the first novel in the series, interview with the vampire. So she really took her time to kind of develop this character in, in the story. So in this case, you had the interview with the vampire and then suddenly a new book was coming. And it was really so exciting. apparently after writing interview with the vampire, uh-huh. which was successful, right? Very successful. Mm-hmm. She decided to write a sequel at the blistering pace of 1.1 pages per week. <laughs> I did the math. Wow. I know. So she let's just say it was a leisurely stroll. <laughs> it was. To the vampire Lestat. So what do you think makes this novel gothic? Now, you know, I'm a big fan of the rock music vid- videos <laughs> from the MTV. <laughs> I know you can't wait for Lestat the rock star to come out on the show. So we should point out that throughout this episode, I will be trolling Christina <laughs> by using my impression of the audiobook reader's impression of Lestat's voice. <laughs> All right. So uh, what makes it gothic? Well, of course, the overall theme of vampires mm-hmm. automatically catapults you into the gothic realm. I would argue that the Satan's Night Out, instant goth cred, right? I mean, if you're if you're going to have a goth band, that's not a bad choice, right? Or, a, or like a heavy metal band. Yeah. I mean, I think they were death metal, whatever. The whole romance through the ages type of theme, very Mm -hmm. gothic. It started in the 18th century. So uh, you're almost, again, forced into that gothic theme. I think also there's that sort of there's a very claustrophobic atmosphere 
for me and for a number of reasons, but a lot of it has to do with like everything takes place at night. It yeah. has to. Well, yeah. So there is that closing in and that sense of and, and, and there are a lot of times where he's very closed in. It's just very claustrophobic. You know, he's yeah. underground or he's in coffins or, or whatever. He, yeah, you know, or he's, you know, buried under a tower with 500 other dead bodies mm. for, and he has to crawl through a that actually stressed me out when they were talking about how he had to get into the uh, area where his yeah, treasure and stuff was, it, where he yeah. has to crawl through some like low tunnel or something. Yeah. I'm like, well, because those weren't just dead bodies, like his dead body, the bodies. These were super dead bodies. Yeah, these were dead that all looked like him. What we learn, I think, in the first part of this novel is the freaks come out at night. Okay? <laughs> That's so, for sure. That's for sure. That is what happens. So a lot of people took liberty with Anne's work, right? Like this isn't new with the showrunners and interview with the vampire and, you know, kind of bringing into the story, taking some liberties with Lestat and, and everything. Cause back in 90 and 91, I believe there was a comic book that was developed based off of the book. Yep. And then there was a musical that was written by Bernie Toppin and Elton John in 2006. And we cannot forget the disastrous 2002 film Queen of the Damned, which also, you know, we found traces of the vampire Lestat. Who saw Queen of the Damned? Keep I saw I parts didn't. of it because I distinctly remember Stuart Townsend. Townsend being in like this large cavern or something with the queen up at the head of it. But I could be imagining that. And that actually could also be Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. I so I'm not sure. <laughs> I know, I know. They all blend together. I think I saw him in the scene where he crawls along the wall and onto the ceiling. And I can't remember if I saw that just like as a trailer. Yeah. Or if I actually saw this movie. It was so soundly panned that I really honestly just didn't bother at a certain point. Maybe yeah. I should go back and watch it. I was just going to say, why don't we all just watch it? We've, we've suffered through plenty of other films for this podcast. We could do one more. Yeah, we Vampiros have. Lesbos. <laughs> <laughs> Blackula. Haas and... Oh, uh... Something in Haas... No. Haas and Frang or something like that. Ganja and Hess. That's it. Haas. Haas is an avocado, everyone. Yeah. What the hell? Or possibly <laughs> Little Joe's brother. <laughs> Big hots. Yes. It's a gigantic avocado. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> that is a big avocado. Uh, we did listen, though, to the Elton John, the, to one of the songs, like Embrace It or something I, like that. I'm it was 100% sure, right at the cob. I'm 100% sure that he repurposed that song for Lion King. <laughs> it's like, can you hear the start tonight? <laughs> That's an excellent <laughs> rendition, Mark. <laughs> that was good. I, I felt that. I felt that. Well, I think I'm ready for my rock music video. <laughs> There's something wrong with you. Oh, oh Lord. Oh, Lord. It's what I'm saying. What's wrong with you? Oh, Nobody Lord. can talk. Oh, what is Lord. happening? I don't know. My God. So although the book debuted at number nine on the New York Times bestseller list, it critically received some mixed reviews. One I'm going to reference is from... Machiko Kakutani. So here's what Machiko wrote in the New York Times. Reading The Vampire Lestat, in fact, is a lot like spending an entire day in a museum featuring only works by Henry Fusili, all hung in heavy gilt frames decorated with curly cues and malicious cherubs. By the end, 
you're reeling from both the strangeness and the surfeit of ornamentation. I actually don't totally disagree with her. And we'll get into some of the sort of light criticisms because believe me when I tell you, I love this book. But I have a few minor criticisms. But Michiko Kakutani, who you referenced there, as just a little side note, was this figured in Sex in the City. For those of you who watch it, maybe you remember that she was the one who reviewed Carrie's book. And she Did was she worried. savage it? can't remember no i think she got i think she gave her a good review okay but yeah so that was carrie's first book was was reviewed by michiko kakutani so let's just talk briefly about what the plot looks like so this is lestat's response he claims that is being written as a way to repudiate louis's incorrect portrayal of him in interview with the vampire so lestat here is serving as his own apologist the way that the story works is that it is framed in the beginning, like like 13 or 14, 15, whatever pages in the beginning, and maybe two dozen or two and a half dozen more at the end that tell about Lestat in Today. 1985, Five, right? OK, so it would have been like the 19 mid 80s Lestat that Framing tells you the story of Lestat becoming what is so important to Mark in his character development, a, a famous rock a star, a famous video rock star. <laughs> <laughs> so he's writing kind of I kind of thought more like existential glam rock, but no, I think it's more existential heavy metal. He's got a lot of angst. I think he what does. you need to know is that Tough Cookie does not play angsty music, right? No. She's a hard rocker. Yeah, yeah. Tough Cookie. Tough Cookie is one of his bandmates along with Alex and... Larry. Larry. Not great rock and roll names. No, they aren't. <laughs> Alex, Larry, and Tough Cookie. The Tough hell? Cookie is the best rock name of all time. So the framing of the story is, is at the beginning of the end is that he's a, he's a rock star. He's come out of the ground. He's yeah. spent a long stretch of time Healing. Healing underground, which is something that vampires we learn in this book do. And And actually, they come out after a long thing like that actually stronger, right? It can. They grow in in strength. They need blood, but they they grow in strength. Okay. At the end is a section where it's, again, modern day for Lestat, mid-80s. And he is going to be performing in a... It's Lestat Live in San Francisco. It is. Lestat Live with... uh, The Vampire Lestat is the name of the the new name of the band. And they are going to be having a big concert. And you find out from his encounters with several characters, including Louis, who shows up here, that the vampires are writ large are not happy. Yeah. They are they are in the belfries. Yeah, they are. <laughs> well, typically they like to be in the shadows, not, you know, on MTV. That's right. <laughs> yes. They're leaving the belfries to come kick some ass <laughs> yes, is what they're right. doing. That's right. All right. So that's the framing of the story. So the rest of the novel is really Lestat's first person life story. Um, we learn that he's the youngest son of an impoverished French aristocrat who lives in the country with his unyielding father, his useless brothers, and his aloof mother. He feeds the family by hunting and becomes a neighborhood celebrity for killing a pack of wolves. But, you know, he really longs for a different life. And at first he tried religion. But as we know, that was thwarted by his father. And um, he runs away to Paris with his lover, Nicky, who's a wealthy merchant's son, to become an actor. It's there that he's discovered by Magnus, who is an ancient vampire, who kills him and turns him. And then immediately 
jumps into a fire, leaving Lestat an orphan. I mean, an extremely wealthy orphan, but an orphan nonetheless who now has to learn how to navigate vampire life on his own. And as we know, doesn't do the best job with it, right? It's kind of like your your child gets to be 16 and you hand them the keys to a fast car and you leave them forever. <laughs> like, good luck. Hope it works out for you, bro. So Lestat quickly creates two more vampires because, of course, what could possibly go wrong with that? Right? <laughs> His mother, who is very ill, and that's how he, quote unquote, saves her life by killing her. And, of course, Nikki, his lover. And that didn't work out that great either. But he runs afoul of the Parisian coven run by the adolescent vampire, our friend Armand. Ah. Uh, he meets Marius, uh, who is an, another ancient vampire who is the minder of those who must be kept, which we'll talk more about that later, and who fills him in on some of the do's and don'ts of the vampire life, like maybe don't right away make two more vampires, <laughs> uh, possibly. He introduces him to Akasha and Enkil. Is that how we say it? Mm -hmm. Enkil? Sounds good enough to me, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Enkil and teaches Lestat about the origins of their kind. Uh, finally, Lestat basically pisses off all the vampires because he's coming out of the coffin, baby, and he's taking them with him. And honestly, it was really just because he just wanted to see what would happen. He and Louis have a reunion. He explains Louis had it mostly wrong. He speaks to his admiration for Claudia's craftiness and his love for her and says Savage Garden about 11 million times. That would, that's another subject that we're going to have to yeah. get into is just the just yeah. the redundancy. There's a couple of them. She could have done it in 400 pages without that. If you just deleted the words Savage Garden and Preternatural, <laughs> you would have like a 300-page book. All right. right so Lestat as a character, Anne is on the record in multiple places saying that she based him when she, again, she initially wrote Interview with the Vampire and Lestat was described in very harsh terms in that book. But she claims that she she took the inspiration for Lestat from her husband, Stan Rice, who is a poet. And I think he also did some painting. Um, and a horrible, horrible murderer. He, no. What? Mm, well, wasn't he? No. Sure he didn't oh, kill because hundreds of people? No. <laughs> no. Throughout no. the ages? You no, know, sadly, though, he died of glioblastoma. Oh. Yeah. 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 Um, so he, she took from him his physicality. So she claimed like his feline movement, the fact that he's this man of action. He was always kind I mean, of in was moved. Stan a sexy bitch? He really was. I looked him yeah. up. He, he's Good not looking a bad, guy. Not bad looking as guy. As sexy as Lestant? Or there's a photo that I found that is of Stan sitting with Michelle and Anne. So this had to have been in the early 70s. And he looked a little bit like Sam Reed in the newsreader. His physicality, his feline movement, that he was a man of action. He's kind of always in on the move and he was always thinking of doing something. Um, a little bit his physical looks, as I said. Also, his atheism and his rationalism. Right on, Stan Rice. But then she said Lestat takes on a life of his own. And mm -hmm. he ended up being a person that Anne herself wished that she could be. So she very closely identified with Louis but then she said Lestat is was this character that kind of out of the corner of my eye, I caught him. And as he developed, he took on a life as, of his own. And she says, uh, I saw an interview with her where she said that she can walk into a room and know what Lestat, what Lestat would think. Yeah. Like well, she, because she's she is Lestat. Yeah. 
She also said this about him, and I found it really curious. I wanted to get, get your thoughts on this. She feels that he's a comedic character mm. in the sense that he keeps coming back. Whatever crisis he may face, she says, he bounces back, usually laughing it off. I don't know that I do. From the See, book? I, I do get that because I feel like, you know, because he's Lestat and we, you know, what we know about him is he doesn't take things too seriously. He's, he's all about himself. If it's about him, he's serious, you know, and everything else, he does laugh things off. So I don't think she meant like comedic, like Jerry Seinfeld. Well, I mean, he no, is funny like, in the show. Yeah. That, and I think that no, that's... But I don't even mean funny, funny. I just mean like, I, I agree with her. He does bounce back and laughs things off. Well, as a counterpoint for Louis. I mean, compared to Louis, he is Jerry Seinfeld. It's true. It's true. I mean, he doesn't joke a lot in this book. It's not joking, though. I get what she's saying. It's not meant to be like, ha ha, funny. He's just puckish, I think. Oh, there you go. There you go. You've nailed it. Yeah. So he's put a pin in that one. Yeah, he's he is. So let's kind of shift gears now, guys, and talk about themes. I guess, Christina, we'll start with you. How do you think Lestat as a character or vampires in general compel the reader to confront the role of religion in the world? For me, the one major, major thing that you have to know about Lestat in this book is that he is a man of the Enlightenment. So Rice takes us back in history here. And is she like super successful uh, she paints a good picture, but it's, you know, there's, it, this isn't a history. This isn't a, a right. historical fiction, right? It's, it's a Gothic book. So she does a good, a good enough job. But what she really picks up on is like the current of the time, sort of the zeitgeist, Mark, <laughs> if, if you, you will. will. <laughs> what if I won't? <laughs> no, like the zeitgeist. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's the enlightenment, which is a time of change and this is something that we continue to see actually with other characters as well like these powerful vampires and Lestat is one of them fluoresce at times of shifting mores and shifting values and so of course the enlightenment is a time where the shift goes from heavily religious to all about science right it's a paradigm shift right and and rationalism and humanism humanism. Lestat is really he believes he's a man of the Enlightenment, but he really does not know what the Enlightenment is, right? He has no education in classic literature, poetry, philosophy. He just has this idea that men of the Enlightenment are atheists, mm-hmm. right? And they're all about science mm-hmm. and progress and not religion, which is basically true. It's a pretty shallow understanding of what it means to be a man of the Enlightenment, I think that most men of enlightenment, if you really would contextualize them or look at real people, most of humanity would have experienced it the way that. Oh, absolutely. Because I mean, because not everybody is Locke or or Jefferson. Exactly right. Exactly right. So he is a man of the what he thinks is the enlightenment. Right. mm -hmm. And that's fair. I mean, we'll we'll give him that. I mean, he says, I'm a man of science. I don't know any science per se, but I love science. I'm a fan of science. All right. So but here's an interesting kind of fly in the ointment. Lestat is talking about being this man of science and making this shift away from this sort of superstitious make believe what he would say. Right. Sort of constructed thing, religion into science, which is fact based and all of that. And he's a vampire. 
is a vampire. So which that's not is, super which, scientific. Which is not super scientific. Vampires just naturally fit much better in the world that he claims as a man of the Enlightenment to be going away from. Yeah. It's more weird and superstitious. And Well, I mean, you could argue, I guess, that he would view vampires as natural creatures who haven't been very well studied. Well, haven't, haven't been discovered, right. right. No, I think that you could. But if you as a reader really think about it, right, sure. he's a magical right. creature. So the question Joe's asking here, though, is how does he confront the role of religion in the world? Lestat, and he talks about this as a young man, he wanted to join the church. Oh, yeah, because he saw that as a way to get educated, right? Because mm-hmm. his father, for whatever reason, blocked all of his attempts to learn to read mm-hmm. or to be educated in any way. And this is how he saw it. That was his opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. I'll go. I'll study with the monks. I'll learn how to read all mm-hmm. these things, which he didn't do, right? He got there and didn't go. He, didn't, wasn't, he there wasn't there long, there enough, long and, enough. And they hauled his ass home. Do you guys think more just vampires in general and more general terms of religion that that on a lot of these shows or books that we watch, there is an element of some characters that refer to God and the devil, right? We did see it a little bit with Louis. Oh, sure. In in that whole church scene. And, you know, he ran right to the priest and, you know, like Vampire Diaries. That was a bit of it towards the end. One of the big problems they were having was that they were going to be trapped Um, with the devil for all time and they get trapped in this necklace thing and they get a view of what hell is going to be like for them. So religion does, even though for Lestat, he kind of, for his own, I don't know if he had to do it to accept who he was, kind of shunned religion and became an atheist and all that. But there are a lot of vampires in general that do believe in God and the devil and still fear that even though on earth they're immortal. You know, now you're confronted with basically immortal creatures, right? Mm -hmm. But none of them really claim to have any direct access or knowledge of the divine. You know, I think it was it Marius basically said, I've, if, if there's a God or a devil, I haven't met him. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. And, and, and Marius is an interesting case and I want to kind of stick a pin in him and go back to Joanne's point, which actually is they do confront their, the, the coven, Armand, yeah. led yeah. by Armand, that does was- confront. They have this this belief in the devil. And if you believe in the devil, you have to believe in God. Of course, Lestat, symbolically and in, in actual actions, destroys that. It's time to put away these foolish superstitions. Mm-hmm. You got to evolve. You got to become. Gotta- I'm a man of the enlightenment. That's you right. are, you're not thinking about this in the right way. Right. And you should be living amongst the people in Paris. This is, see here, this is exactly how he confronts. Yeah. Religion, but also he says so. The Armand's coven, which are Satan worshiping yeah. vampires, he destroys that coven. He puts them onto the stage and says, "You know, you're going to live this life yeah. now, and you're going to be amongst yeah. the people." But then, when he travels to Italy and runs into the coven there, he makes a point of saying that coven, cloaked as it was in 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 a Catholic country sort of embedded as it was in this Catholic country, Italy, in Rome, they were not as weird and superstitious. They yeah. existed within that religious structure, yeah. but also as a part of the world. If you are confronted with the existence of vampires, one of the very first questions is, how does that impact the, your theology? Then you try to fit them. You try to fit them into your pre-existing belief system, right? Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, maybe they're devils, right? Mm-hmm. They're fallen angels, And then you try to kind of 
pigeonhole them into that. What religion is not very good at doing is dealing with new phenomenon, right? Because it's a, it's a belief system based on tradition and revealed knowledge. And when you learn about something new, if it doesn't fit into that system, it's very difficult. And you have they to all kind seem of, to figure out you a way to, well, they all, you, you retcon it, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, well, what this passage now means is <laughs> that's what you know, that really meant all yeah. along. We just didn't know we didn't have the knowledge until we exactly had the knowledge. Right. What if vampires are the resurrection? Mm, we're in trouble. It's a little grislier than we were told it would be. <laughs> but a lot more interesting than I Dante's mean, paradise. Yeah, I mean, all right. So uh, you have the uh, hope of eternal, you know, life and rebirth. And you're like, oh, that sounds really great. I'm super into this religion. Oh, you might have to eat people why on not? a regular it's basis. A, it, why not? It is a religion already that revolves around right. the body of Christ and the blood yeah. and the cup of salvation. Yeah, but you can still die if you're a vampire. It's not easy. So that's a little bit of a glitch. I mean, it's pretty much. It's Pre- pretty much. Like, when we said you'd live forever, we pretty much meant forever. I don't know. It was just ish. a thought. No, I'm I mean, sure it's, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good point to raise, right? Like I said, it's just a little, a little more bloodthirsty than we thought it was going to be, <laughs> literally. Let's talk more about good and evil, because even though he claims to be an atheist. Yes. He believes in evil. You can. If, if you believe there's a devil... There has to be a God. Yeah, but you don't have to. I guess to, you don't have to be a devil. You don't have to, to have anything supernatural in your worldview to believe in evil. True. So, and that's a common mistake that people who aren't atheists, especially if they're criticizing atheists, say. It's like, well, how do you know the difference between good and evil? Oh, you know, like anybody else. You're like, okay, that seems like that's really harmful unnecessarily. That's evil. And this seems like it's really great for people, so we're gonna call that good. Yeah, you're right. You can you can be evil and not be the devil himself. But it helps. I mean, if you're gonna go big, <laughs> if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. In the church, he does that freaky thing where he and Gabrielle are they have to get out. Yeah, this is when they're hiding yeah. from the coven, and the way they do it is instead of like just sneaking or out, just walking calmly out, which just, you can do in they, a church. They come flying through the, yeah. the floor. I have an idea. <laughs> what <laughs> we're going to do is instead of just calmly walking out of the church, <laughs> we're going to pop out like fucking boogeyman <laughs> and shriek like banshees <laughs> and scream our ways out the door. Scare the shit out of all these people. Yeah. <laughs> all I'm into these- it. It's a lot. He makes the best of the fact that these are superstitious, terrified people who obviously are in church by terrifying them. Yeah. Now, I guess, I mean, I guess you're kind, I mean, if your plan is create a diversion, right? This qualifies. So Mm -hmm. now they're they're all screaming and shrieking and milling around and maybe you can get out in the confusion. I still say you could have just got up and walked out, but you know, that's me. Is Lestat really known for choosing the path of least resistance? Come on. Oh, no. He's like, I just wanted to see what happened if we would shriek and scream out of the church and see how they respond to that. Okay, so now how does it play out in the show? The way he's confronting the role of religion in the show. Not well for the priests. No, that didn't work out well for them at all. It did not work out well for them. He's physically, obviously, (laughs) dangerous to the priests. But he also says he's very disdainful of them. He says to Louis in that final scene in the church, do you think God heard you in that tawdry box through right. this pig vessel, this charlatan. Yes. Which is such a great scene. Of course it is. Sam does yeah. such a terrific reading of it. And he, you can hear how he just has so much hatred for them. And then the other thing that he says that I, the other scene where he says something Lestat um, that I loved so much was later when he's 
sitting there in the hot seat and yeah. Claudia and Louis are interviewing him about maybe coming back interview yeah. with that vampire oh, yeah. <laughs> interview this um they he said god didn't hear me i cried for god you know when 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 Lestat goes to dinner with at Louis's house and and Paul is there and he does get very confrontational with Paul about religion if i remember correctly and Louis had to kind of be like you know what the fuck are you doing like not you know don't do this here um that's definitely another moment where we see Lestat kind of poo-poo religion. And I, I believe he tells him about his time at the monastery and all of that stuff, but then it kind of goes sideways <laughs> as things with Lestat tend to do. It's got that great line where he says, I, you know, I read the Testaments and I read Assisi and Aquinas, except I think he calls him Aquinas, Erasmus. And then he says, and then he repeats those again. So when he's talking about it initially, he's like kind of with reverence. These are the guys that I read. And then he comes back around to those names again. And he says them with such disdain. Mm -hmm. And so he said, I, I slowly forgot about all the testaments, you know, that I think that he's so it's so great how he acts that scene out. Okay, Mark, I think it's pretty safe to say that there's few things in this world that bother Lestat or plague Lestat, right? But loneliness is definitely one of them. I mean, Lestat has a pathological aversion to loneliness, right? <laughs> you think? <laughs> Even more so than like, you know, you know, other vampires are like, you know, that's really the big struggle is the loneliness, et cetera. But he has this pathological fear. So he's like creating friends and seeking out friends and boyfriends, whatever, left and right. He's lonely <laughs> at his home. He finds Nikki. You know, he's lonely for his mom. Right. So he seeks her out, turns her into a vampire. Good idea. Uh, but now that way he's he thinks he's creating these companions that will be with him now forever. Doesn't really work out that way. Then he's lonely again. He creates Louis. Louis is lonely. He creates Claudia. But he's constantly, constantly searching for a companion, someone to be with him. And it's not really clear. And I don't think even in his head exactly what role he wants that companion to be other than just give me everything I want, right? Be the perfect person that I imagine. Be my companion. Yeah, be my companion, but also... Do you think loneliness is his only motivator? Uh, It's his prime motivator, I Primary, think. Primary, right, yeah. Like, what else is he getting out of it, you know? Yeah. The story of his life is searching for and trying to hold on to companions and, and also to try to figure out how to work his mojo, right? How to work his magic. That's really the only two things he seems to really care about is companionship. I would also put adoration. Yeah, attention. Oh, sure. he wants attention. Loves attention. He wants someone there for him all the time. However, he does have standards. He thinks a lot of himself. Therefore, he wants, you know, a high quality companion. Yeah, right? he's not. Just... You got to be good looking. If you're going to create someone to be with you potentially for all of eternity, you're going to want to find the perfect mate. He is lonely. He does seek out companions, but he, do, like I said, he has some standards and he will go on his own if he doesn't have the companion he, he really wants or who he feels is worthy. Like he, he bails on, he, he has nothing to do with Armand. Well, Armand wasn't really willing to be his companion though, was he? Armand would have. Yeah. Armand is in love with him. Oh, well, that didn't work out though. He pushed no. him off a tower. Right. It doesn't work out. Was that I mean, love though? Well. As no. vampires are wont to do. Yeah. They're like. 
I love you. Now fall 10 stories to the pavement below. Yeah, yeah. Does he want to love somebody or does he want to just possess them? That his idea of love is possibly not the healthiest construction. He thinks it is possessing that person, having that person be exactly who you want them to be rather than who they want to be. You know, his mom is ends up not being who he wants her to be. Nikki ends up not being who he wants him to be. Armand, I think he's just antagonistic too, right? I mean, I just don't think doesn't they, like, they I mean, he doesn't, yeah, yeah. they didn't. Because, I mean, they, well, I mean, he started the relationship by beating the shit out of him. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, no, he started the relationship with Armand, not really by beating the shit out of him. Because remember, Armand had him outnumbered at that point, but yeah. outwitting him yeah. and, and turning his, his coven on him. Right. So through his then beating the shit out of him later. But then he also he just he shows that Armand is wrong. He yeah. exposes Armand's weaknesses. Yeah. So but they're antagonists. They're definitely mm-hmm. not going to be companions. And then, of course, Louis, the great love of his life, who ends up not being a complacent companion, right? He apparently has his own thoughts and hopes and dreams and fears and Mm -hmm. whatever, mostly fears. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that doesn't work out perfectly for him. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to make the world my friend. I'm going to be (laughs) a video rock star. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to have a concert in San Francisco and I will become a very famous video rock star. I'll sign autographs. Yes, I'll sign autographs. Chicks are going to dig me. Love, stop, love, stop, love, stop. That's a scene, by the way, in in the book. Not a great chant, right? (laughs) I'll, I'll tell you this, though, and it may be an unpopular opinion, maybe not. I feel bad for him that he's so lonely. This is why you end up in the relationships you end up in. I know, I'm an asshole, but I still... I think I can fix him. Guys, I think I can fix him. Though. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. He's been a douchebag for 400 years. Yeah, but I can change him. I'm going to change all that. Yes. Think about it. At his core, like, you don't feel a little bad for him that he's so freaking lonely. I will say that he is much more, a much more sympathetic character in this novel than he obviously is in interview. For sure. Yeah, see, and this is where everyone falls in love with Lestat. They do. They really do because like, Lestat oh, is, you know. And and I think for the reason that Joanne is is pointing out. Right. We, if you are an empathetic person, you look at that backstory with the family, the impoverished. Right. It's like, you know, they're they're aristocrats but they live in this poverty and they their house is falling down around them they, and, they have very little money and so even for food so Lestat is out hunting and he's like the great white hunter for the family yeah gains popularity in the village so so that admiration that he likes so he's not you know but for killing if only, these wolves. If only there was rock music back then. But Mark, but <laughs> but he gets very depressed even yeah. after he's famous now for killing wolves. And Nikki is the one that kind of brings him out of it because now here he has this companion yeah. in mortal life. But you find out, and I think this is something that's curious to me, is that Nikki, later you find out, resented Lestat. Because of the way that Lestat, well, everything decided, was so easy. It was for easy Lestat. for Lestat, and right. Nikki felt like he was behind with his violin, and yeah, even though he's evidently a very good violinist, but he knew that he wasn't Mozart, that he didn't start early enough or whatever. Yeah, he knew enough about his craft to know that he was that he wasn't as good that. as he wanted right. to be, which I think is the sign of some. You know, uh, that's kind of the. Um, that's the Salieri uh, effect, right? Yeah. Where Salieri was a very well-educated musician, but he knew he just didn't have 
it, mm -hmm. right? He just didn't have that spark that Mozart did. All right, so it's Nickelary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's like, "What, God? Why did you give so much talent to this buffoon. revolting yeah. buffoon, disgusting character?" Yeah. And uh, but it is interesting that Lestat, when he starts to get adoration and attention, fucks it up. Oh, he does. Well, he. I mean, as L Lelio, right? Lelio. You know what? I'm pretty famous as an actor now. This is exactly what I wanted. I'm just going to give him the full vampire treatment and I'm going to start flying, you know, in the theater and do, I, I bet they didn't expect a octuple somersault in the middle of the air here. I'm going to give him that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. There are times where he does. He's he very just does fucked up stuff. And he's like, I just want to see what had happened. <laughs> Apparently bad stuff. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, not my best idea. It didn't work out great, but whatever. I'm going to burn some bridges here, people. Just so you Watch know. Watch this, everyone. Well, guess what? This is my finale. Okay. <laughs> you know what? Lestat is like the ultimate has no fucks to give. Yeah. He He's like, he that's the truth, wonder, right? I wonder what would happen if I push this button. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Whatever you do, Lestat, don't touch this button. He's Dee Dee in Dexter's laboratory. <laughs> She's like, ooh, what does this button do? So let's talk about these quickly these relationships that yeah. he has so we talked about how he turned nikki which then goes bad right very uh, bad very bad nikki just can't deal with the immortality right he, the concept of it is too much for him and he is a man of faith correct so this is a real struggle for him and in the end after writing several successful plays for the theater of the vampires he jumps into a fire himself he, right. he ends his his immortal life and then you have this his mom which you mentioned gabrielle who he changes when she's sick to save her life. And that's then... the least, I feel like that's the <laughs> most sympathetic decision to make a vampire that I, yeah, know. it is. Because I mean, who among us would be like, all right, your mom's dying. If I you could, know, if, could, I right. could just right. turn into a blood sucking monster. All right. Now here's the thing. He does that. And that to me, Joanne, is kind of a like, oh, he's a mommy's boy, you know, yeah. like he wants. Well, he's definitely a mommy's boy. Well, I'm not going to lie any... that I didn't just think that, but yeah, not yeah. in a 100% healthy way. <laughs> so, right. Okay. No. So he, but he loves his mother, right? Oh, and yeah, his, he sure does. Yes. But he yes, changes her because he loves her. And then when he changes her, all of a the sudden they're having a, a sexy relationship. It's a yeah. lot. It's some kissing and some mouth, like French kissing. And yeah. meanwhile, she, is becoming somebody who's really rejecting the the binary. Yeah. She's cutting her hair. She's she decides she wants to you know she's sort of extricating herself. She's not not she dresses a woman up like anymore, a man, but she dresses right? like a man, and she really just kind of eschews the whole construction of what womanhood would right. be like. So she cuts her hair. She changes into men's clothing. She rejects her family. Yeah. She's Lestat's trying to maintain the connection with his family. No, not his her. father and his in his. his she's uh, like, oh, thank God, I'm free. And she takes off. She's going out she's into out the jungle. Five thousand. Yeah. So his his need to continue a relationship with his family is thwarted because the mother, who is the one that he loved right. the most in the first place, decides she's going to take off. All right. So he moves forward in time and he makes Louis here. He does that simply because he sees Louis as just this most beautiful guy. Right. He's. At, I mean, do you disagree? No, no, I agree that he's beautiful. But at that point, 
Lestat has already met Marius, and Marius says to him, be careful who you choose to make. Because you've already fucked it up twice. And Lestat's going to listen because why? Never. He won't. In one ear, out the other. Louis cannot let go of his humanity. Right. I mean, Lestat really wasn't think. I I really think he didn't look at Louis' personality. I think he just looked at Louis' beauty, his beautiful face. Although I do think He did say he liked, well, at least in the show, they try to give it a little bit more than that. Like, you know, here I saw this guy who was willing to pull a sword cane on his brother and threaten him in the middle of Bourbon Street. Right. right? So he liked that bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, Louis says he liked the, the fact that I could push back. Yeah. And that that is the show. So let's let's talk about his loneliness in the show, Joanne. So one of the one of the best examples I think of how, you know, loneliness is what, you know, drives him, motivates him, etc. is and even though he was with Antoinette prior to him and Louis' breakup for what was it, like six years or something, he just couldn't be alone in those six years and kind of reflect on what he did. He he went from one toxic relationship onto the next with Antoinette, right? I mean, I think that's a perfect example of, you know, aside from the obvious with Louis, of him not wanting to ever just be alone. He had to even have somebody at that time. And he almost kind of doubled down on it when he thought that he was going to, you know, outsmart Claudia and kill her and take both now of his companions and lovers with him out of the country and everything. He's <laughs> just in the, in the series. You just have to shake your head and go, what the hell, what are you doing Listot, God, he's you know for someone who's so smart, he's so dumb. He can be so myopic. He just cannot see the forest for the trees. That is really part of what his problem. What's is. that song? I'm just thinking with my dick. Like that's Listot. Yeah, what kind of music are you listening to? <laughs> you don't know that song? I don't know. I don't listen to any songs that have the word dick in them. Not too pretty in the face, but she's pretty thick. I'm just thinking with my dick. I I mean, I'm gonna send it to you later. It was like a really big TikTok of the, like that dorky looking guy who was like at the side of a parade and he, he does the dance. Oh my God. I'll send it to you. You'll love it. Yeah. No, it's making me, I'm like getting inspired maybe to make a TikTok with Lestat with that song. So I think in the series too, you see he, he, he is, he does fear loneliness. I think that that is accurate about him. When I was watching Lestat in his scene where he's being interviewed again to try and get back into the family, he's talking about his loneliness. And I thought to myself, and and I think Claudia agrees with me, at least in this read, that he, while that all may be true, he's using it as a way to manipulate Louis. Where I'm with Louis, who's going, see, he's not a bad guy. He's just lonely. I mean, that's the classic narcissist approach, right? You know, I need you to be in my life because I'll be lonely without you. I'll be lonely without you. I'll kill myself or whatever, right? right? And that he did it at the in the uh, opera. Yeah. At the opera, he yeah. did it again. He knows that Louis loves to be needed in exactly. some way. So, Christina, I think it's safe to say that, you know, in gothic novels when um there's incest involved kind of signals the downfall and creates discomfort and abhorrence in the reader uh, at least this reader anyway you have a real problem with incest yeah, what's wrong with joanne you? just so wait till the witching hour <laughs> oh, That's all I, did. I know i know i'm i'm like i was gonna say you know who it doesn't create discomfort in Anne Rice. <laughs> she loves that shit <laughs> She is all in on incest. <laughs> it's just weird. But yeah, I don't know why she's obsessed with it. But 
Christina, how do you feel that she employs incest as a device in this book, The Vampire Lestat? I think it just makes her hot. No, I think she, she likes it. I know you want to. Do see you? It. No, no, I'm kidding. But because I've read The Witching Hour, and I can tell you, they are fucking their cousins left and right, <laughs> and worse. So, Oof. yeah, huh? what are you going to do? It's pervasive. And I think it's in more places than we actually even think about it. It's very clear that it's Gabrielle, right? Oh, yeah. You know, and that's his mother who he then turns into his daughter. And then makes her a girlfriend. And makes kind her of. kind of a girlfriend. And there's a there's actually a, a school of thought at Creative Spoonie. And I were having a conversation on a spaces the other night about how whether or not the way that the kiss between Gabrielle and Lestat is described in the vampire Lestat is, is significant of a blood bond between the vampires, or if it's what I think it is, which is incestuous. And I think it's deliberately that that doesn't negate the fact that there, you know, there may be some kind of blood bond involved in it, but she's looking at books past Vampire Lestat. I'm looking at it just from the Vampire Lestat perspective, because that's how we're going to be approaching this book. That bond is is about it's his mother. And he's very cognizant of the fact that it's his mother. But then sometimes he calls her Gabrielle. And then sometimes he's I don't know that he calls after he turns her. Does he call her mother? I think he thinks of her as mother. Yeah. I think that's internal mommy, maybe, but he makes the point of saying <laughs> gross. He makes the point of saying, I, I, I think, you know, like I just, I started calling her Gabrielle. Yeah. But that, at that point, the layers of incest are so much. It's his mother who he sires. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, that's a complicated family tree. Let's it just is. Say that. And so if family wreath, and also if you are a vampire, the vampires that you create are your offspring. Yes. Now, it's not in, the same. It's not in genetic. a very real and legally binding <laughs> way. Right. No, but it's not a genetic like a, a parent, but it is a parent. So I mean, within the they structure, have your blood in. Yeah. Them, and then you have this connection to them, some kind of psychobiological connection to them. Right. The only you thing can you can't do is, is, is read, just read their mind. Their mind. Right. Yeah, you're bonded to them. That's a lot of incest. It is. And then if you look at again, it's the book not in the TV series, uh, Louis and Claudia in the book yeah. that he's feeling romantic feelings for her. She's pretty fucked up. She's five. <laughs> she's, she's five. That's a problem in and of itself. Yeah. Yes. Doesn't and... bother Anne Rice though. <laughs> she's freaky deaky, Miss Rice. Oh, so much. You can't I, wait, wait until we get to the sleeping beauties. I think she uses it as a way to distance her characters from humanity mm -hmm. and society. Like, mm -hmm. okay, the rules don't real, the same rules don't apply to them. They see themselves as outside of human society. They have their own rules. Well, rule, mm -hmm. right? One rule or two. Mm -hmm. They have two rules. Don't kill vampires. Don't make babies vampires. Mm -hmm. That's about it. I just think that's, she, she uses that as a way to, yes, shock her audience a little bit. P.S. It worked. Um, <laughs> and, but also to, Kind of create that divide between humanity and vampanity or whatever. Mm -hmm. we See, call it. I agree with you because I feel like she does it so that, you know, the reader understands that, you know, or, or more to further demonstrate to the reader that when they turn into a vampire, they leave behind everything of their human life, including traditional relationships with the humans in their life. Right. So when he technically made Gabrielle a vampire, she was not, she was no longer his mother and him, her son. 
It was now she he's her creator. Right. It's so, the role switch. So now Chris, he's the he's yeah. the father. But there's no but there's no actual like like the relationship is gone and like the blood relation of mother son is gone. That 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 no longer exists in the vampire world. So I think maybe in some ways to Anne Rice it wasn't even incest because I think in her mind it just they ceased being mother and son. Christine and I were discussing this the other day as we are wont to do. I brought up the, the idea. We talk that, about incest a lot. We do. You guys. I mean, this is pretty much you know, <laughs> days that end in Y. Okay. We're talking about incest. No, but we're talking about how vampires in the immortal universe see themselves in relation to humans, obviously as apex predators superior and christina can remind me whether she agreed or disagreed with me here it's really a metamorphosis for them where they just be, feel like they're just a different and they are different creature now it's like going through like a going through a, a larval stage or being in a cocoon and then when they come out they're like okay now that my past life my mortal life that's really kind of a different creature, mm -hmm. right? I may continue some relationships or thoughts and feelings from that, but for the most part, I'm this new kind of thing, and that really doesn't matter anymore, or at least a lot of vampires look mm -hmm. at it that way, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what Lestat has always encouraged Louis to view it as. That is your old life. You've shed your cocoon. You're now a beautiful, murderous butterfly. <laughs> Embrace that. Do as right? I say, not as I did. Correct. Because, because oh, he definitely Lestat clung, to his, clung to his old life. Even though he hated his father and brothers, he still, you know, made sure that they had all the money right. that they needed and were refurbishing things and all of the rest. In the end, in Interview with the Vampire, we know as much as he just has hatred for his father, he stays with his father and as his father is yeah. thick and dying. And, and in the series, when Louis goes to leave, he says, I've got to get home famously to Paul and Grace and Paul was yeah, already Paul dead. Paul was already dead. Uh, yeah. He says, well, that's going to be difficult, but yeah. he lets him go. But the reality is, yeah. is this is kind of Lestat went through that process. Oh, also. he's a bit of a hypocrite. He is shockingly. a hypocrite, but he does also come around to the, your point of view yeah. quite quickly, actually. Yeah. Very quickly. But he's that's, sort of that, like, well, that's I'm your old life. Yeah. You've moved on from that. You've yeah. shed that skin. Except he brings mommy with him. Right. But mommy is now going to shed her skin too. Mm -hmm. And I hope I get to see that. Oh, Mark. <laughs> and she's not the mom that he really wanted. He hoped no. that when he created her, she he, would she leave to him. It would still be the mom. And, right. And, and she's like, you know what? I'm into leaves. So I'm going <laughs> to <Yeah>. leave. <laughs> I'm going to go look at some. I'm going to make like Tom and Cruz. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, oh, no. I'll be here all night. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Armand, when he meets Armand, yeah. warns him. He says, the people you make, they're not going to stick around. They're not going to stick around. They will not. Now, Louis and Claudia do, and Lestat remarks and says, that was a really long stretch that we had yeah. for vampires. I mean, 80 years We did pretty good. 60, yeah. I think it yeah. was. Whatever. We did pretty well. He never listens to anyone. He doesn't no. listen to Armand of ultimately. Right. He doesn't listen to Marius, which is crazy because he keeps Marius' secret. Marius says, yeah. don't. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. But he, he also doesn't. told him, don't mess with those who must be kept. And he does. Yeah, Marius never believed him because he, no. you know, but so then Marius spills the story about everything he knows about vampirism. Yeah. Says to Lestat, don't say anything. Yeah. Lestat is with the man of his dreams, the love of his life, who, if Lestat had said, hey, Claudia and Louis, let's sit down. I'll tell you the story. Yeah, here's I'll how, tell you what here's you how this know. goes. No, but you know what? 
That's because he would have given up power. Then he would have given up the control. power, right? Yeah. And then finally, at the end, he's like, "Well, you know what? I'm. I know I'm not supposed to tell any anybody this, but I'm just tell everybody. I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to put it in some rock music videos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to write a song. Oh, and then the other thing that I do want to point out is Louie is looking around thinking there must be other, and Claudia as well, there must be other vampires who can tell us this story. Right. And Louis, I think, maybe thinks that Lestat is this cretin. And and he says so. He says, well, Louis had maybe disdain for me. Dumb fuck. He yeah. thought that I was a peasant when really, you know, hot jokes on him. Yeah. I'm an aristocrat. Yeah, I'm and, royalty, and, baby. And his bourgeois understanding of what right. an aristocrat is, is his own hang up. That's a Louis yeah. problem. That's not a me problem. Right. I was the, I was the aristocrat who threw, you know, my chicken bones over my shoulder. Um, Louis thinks he's going to go out into the world and find a more a more like a, a vampire urbane, more like him. Yeah. Like who cares? Sensitive. So, you know, somebody. And what he calls out to find is that mm, and Lestat it's might, Yeah. Lestat <laughs> might have been the best of the lot. <laughs> yeah. Which right. is really terrible. Right. You know, because then you go and you meet Armand and Armand yeah. is a just a, a, murder bad, goblin. a bad guy. Yeah. So. But Louis doesn't know that. right? Louis away. doesn't know that. But now here we are. Louis is a colossally bad judge of character. <laughs> here, here we go. That's his superpower. Louis, I think, is selecting the wrong man. Here's Louis, who is now in the TV series also with Armand. So here, here we go. The love of his life. The love of his Blink life. twice if you need help. I don't know. You know, there's some speculation about. Armand's like mind, mind control. control. Yeah. But I don't know. Well, maybe we'll get yeah, that gets very heated on Twitter. Does seem that does. he fucked with Daniel's memory. But maybe, I mean maybe not. Maybe Could not. Have been just drugs. Yeah. We we don't know. I mean it's it's ambiguous at this point. We'll know more obviously coming up. Do you guys want to talk about kind of final thoughts of on the book? You know how much I love the end. Oh, no, no. <laughs> so that to me, that's really just the ultimate Lestat thing to do mm-hmm. is you've been alive for centuries. You know that the like big rule is you got to keep it on the DL. And he even says it. He's like, I just want to see what would happen. Yeah, he says So that. he I'm has a live happened. concert where he comes out as a vampire. He's now a famous rock music star and the vampires are coming to get him. Now, one thing I do want to say is these have got to be some of the most incompetent vampires of all time. I know. I mean, here he's, he's, he's right there. He's up on stage. Just use your super speed. Yeah. Whisk him what, away. Rush in, grab him, chomp him up, whatever you got to do. Right. They just then he's on the road them. again and they burn a car, but they forget to burn the backup car or whatever that his mom brought. And apparently they're incapable of operating a motor vehicle to chase them with. But all of a sudden they start bursting into flames. Yeah. And you know who it's Akasha. It's, it's Akasha helping him out. Right. Yeah. And I thought it was Marius at first. Yeah. But, no, you know, it's, it's Akasha. Akasha. Just wildly incompetent killers for people whose main thing is killing. Right. They weren't that great at it. And I would say that one of the things in the, the there wasn't a great way to fit it in, but is interesting is this sort of fact that there's Akasha and Enkel, the ones who must be kept, and yes. we know that Marius is minding them. And so he takes Lestat and he you know, they he tells them all the story and the history and everything. And here's their their Ur vampires. This yeah. is their that's, superstition. Yeah. Right? Like that's for a while, Adam and Eve of the, of vampires, the vampires. Right. Yes. And so even the 
even the the creation of vampires is kind of wrapped up in this kind of religious and, and it, yeah. it's Osiris right. and I, Isis. And so. Well, and, and to that, I mean, you can't be super surprised if you get superpowers, you might masquerade as a god for people who believe in. Of this. course. But there was all of that, you know, so, so, so Marius that weaves in the Druids, yeah. and, you know, vampires are woven into the religion, which yeah. is, again, then maybe what we're why can't Christianity be. Um, like, why can't vampirism be sort of the the real version of what's going on with Christianity? Because it's tough to teach that in CCD. No, I know. But you, you can't know say, kids, I mean. if you're I'm good not. all your life, you'll become a murderous, blood-sucking demon. No, I'm saying that, you know, the way that they, sure, would, would they wove vampirism into druidism yeah. with yeah. male. And then they had... Um, Oh, you're saying that the origin of that belief system was, hey, there are these people who do seem to be living forever. Maybe we could do that. Yes. And but at some point, obviously, in Christianity, that then it becomes revenants. And it's something that's to be feared instead of worship. It's a tenuous argument. I could do a better job explaining it if I could write about it. So Um, but also I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between Nikki and Lestat, because I see a lot of people just shipping shipping them. them. They they love Lestat and Nikki together. And I I have to honestly have to say I don't see that. I don't see that. Louis and Lestat, yes for sure. Yeah. But Nikki and Lestat Do you think it's because he wasn't overly as cruel as he is now as a, you know, as a person. As a <laughs> Lestat? Yeah. Uh, do I think that they He's definitely got more wicked as time has gone on, right? That's my point. Like, do you think people ship that because they, they like that less wicked version of Lestat? Yeah. And his mortal version, right? Because yeah. that, right. that relationship transcends mm-hmm. their shift to immortality. Yeah. You know, what didn't transcend their shift to immortality. Nikki. I don't even see the attraction as especially. Well, I mean, it's like I sometimes think I read a totally different book than other people are reading. Yeah. And that's possible, right? Because people are all, so everyone's going to have their own. Think focus. about it pre vampire. Mm-hmm. Here's Lestat, tough family life, wants to, you know, express himself mm-hmm. artistically or whatever. He meets a young, handsome guy who gives him this beautiful cloak after mm-hmm. he killed the wolves, yep. right? Him. It's a meat cute. I'm not yeah, saying that yeah. it's not a meat cute. I'm not saying that they're not attracted to one another. Right. I'm not saying that they don't have that. You're just saying I as mean, and, and lifelong companions, they leave something to be designed. Because Nikki fundamentally resents Lestat. Well, but Lestat doesn't know that. Well, Louis fundamentally resents Lestat. Everybody resents Lestat. Here's the thing. Lestat's kind of a douchebag. That's why people resent he him. He is. He is. He is. Okay, so that's the other kind of final thought that I want to say about the book is this i don't care for him i do not care for lestat but he doesn't care for you no he doesn't so how do you know that joanne come on he's never met told me but the interpretation (laughs) the interpretation though they have in the tv you like that lestat i like that lestat better better we recognize that he's a horrible murderer and narcissist and all that stuff which is healthy for you not to like that right so if if you would have directly translated Lestat from book to TV screen. Yeah. You end up with something that's over the top of Tom Cruise's portrayal, right? Because Lestat is so extra. He spends a good third of this novel in tears. He's weeping at all times. He's always always crying. Love is always like they, they have, there's just no kind of like, well, he's an okay guy. You either love someone or you you despise them. You're trying to kill them. No halfway. So 
if you would take that kind of a character and translate him to TV or to the movie, it gets, right. it's too much. What right. Sam Reed does that I think is so great is he is put into all of these so extravagant situations. Right. And instead of overplaying that and just leaning into the sort of wild setups, he dials it back. And I think that's a great point because that's, I mean, one of the definite things you notice about Sam Reed's portrayal of Lestat is that he's extravagant and extra and all these things. But there are times when, and some of his best acting is when he's restrained, when he's, like when mm -hmm. he does, of course, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Where what he really wants to do is fuck that. No, I get to do what I want. You don't, you know, mm -hmm. you can't go fucking around, whatever. But in, instead, he does this very kind of restrained, mm -hmm. of course, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess, <laughs> yes. whatever. Yes, and yes, I of course, I want you to do that. And then also the scene again, I'm going to refer back to it again, when he is being questioned by Claudia and Louis. He's sitting there and he's very still. Yeah. Lestat, Sam Reed as Lestat, he can be manic, even in his manic behavior. There's it's always understated. He's got very beautiful physicality, but. He is so powerful when he just sits still. You know what he becomes if he doesn't have that restraint? Hmm. He's the Joker. On 11, like you said, 11 all the time. Mm -hmm. And when he does outrageous things, he's behaving outrageously and wildly and mm -hmm. giggling and mm -hmm. all that stuff. So without that restraint, he becomes the Joker. Mm -hmm. And that's not what this story needs. It doesn't need the Joker. Right. So then that goes back to our original question about him being sort of the comedic character. Yeah. He kind of is, yeah, but in a in an understated way. Okay, so next week, everyone, we will be discussing antiheroes and why we love them. Okay. And so, how have they been evolving? I've been doing some research, and I found out some interesting things about how the antihero has evolved over time, as like within our lifetime. Right. We'll be able to talk about. How an anti-hero before and after. You make it sound like that's a really short period of time. <laughs> well, it is. It, 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 it's Shorter for some. 90s, between the 90s and now, how anti-heroes have changed. Um, and so that's what we're going to do, talk about that, and then how that works out with sort of some of the fandom debates about the characters in Interview with the Men. So, with that, Joanne, would you like to take us out? All right, everyone. Well, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And as usual, we invite you to follow us on social media. Our podcast Twitter is at vampire underscore insider. And you're welcome to follow us on our personal Twitter accounts as well. Christina is at Christina Jenna. Mark at Mark Peach. And I am at just block me underscore one. We hope you'll come back and listen to us again. And if you enjoyed us, Please make sure you share us with at least five friends. Wow. That's spicy. All in. All right. Our numbers, I want, it, I want us to be like, we're number two, I want us to be number one. Nice. Sweet. Thank you guys. Have a good night. Mark, Christina, good night. Bye. Peace out, rock music fans. <laughs> oh, God. Change yeah. it up. Donna, you cock-gobbling whip. <laughs> <laughs> you wish it.